because it's like you're already clearly having a bad time do I really want to kind of open up a conversation to tell you that sometimes your expectations I feel are a bit too stifling or too you know like how do we go about that process in a healthy way Right from the beginning, as we know that we are entering a journey of supporting an, another person, be it a family member or a friend, I think um, right from the beginning, we already have to enter this conversation to set the expectations. Because if this conversation doesn't take place, then each other, the two persons, can have very, very different expectations mm. uh, of, of one another. And when that happens, right, there can be disappointment if, let's say, I expect this of you, but you didn't do it for me, mm. then I would feel like, hey, why can't you do it for me? And then they may not really be upfront about it. And then this can all be uh, at the back of their head, the thoughts, the emotions. And that, that can that can lead each other to feel worse. The carol will feel that, hey, why, 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 why aren't you like respond, responding to my care? Mm. And then the person who is being kept for will feel like, hey, you're not doing anything for me. Mm. That kind of thing. So, when we have all these second guesses and negative thoughts, then this whole care journey can break down. Whereas if right from the beginning, we start setting expectations, this conversation can take place in a way whereby throughout that conversation, you keep assuring the other person that, hey, I really want to care for you. I, I really I, I, I really love you. I, I'm really concerned for you. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure um, what is the care that you might want. So maybe for the other person to let us know that, hey, how would you like to receive care from me? Because um, how they receive it can be very dif different from how I give it. Mm. So it's for the for the person to know because we, we just care and care and care in a way that we, we thought yeah, is good. Yeah. may not be what the other person want. Yeah. They, may, they may not feel like you are really caring for me because that's not what they want. Mm. So have that conversation so that we understand how, how, do, how do you want to be cared for and also setting certain um, expectations from the beginning. For example, maybe I'm not someone who can be very emotional with you. Uh, I'm not someone who can know how to respond to you emotionally. Mm. Then I, I, I might want to have a conversation to say that, oh, maybe I, I'm afraid that I might say the wrong things, but I want to care for you physically. I want to mm. care for your physical well-being. So um, this is what I can do for you. Yeah. So when we have that conversation, then each other have that right expectations of one another mm. and that can be very helpful for the journey. Yeah, that's really good. Mm. I'm also wondering mm. what if, let's say our friend suggests a form of care that we don't agree with. For mm. example, what if um, I ask my friend, right, like what care looks like for you and the person says like, oh, every time um, I text you, I want you to answer me immediately and like, you mm -hmm. know, some something that maybe I personally find crosses a certain boundary or mm -hmm. is a bit extreme. Like, how do we go about communicating that in a tactful way? Mm -hmm. I think in the example you give, um, we can have this, again, the upfront conversation to say that, you know, because I, I also need certain personal space. Um, during work, I may need to focus on my work and um, maybe past midnight. Actually, I do need to also have my rest. But apart from all these timings, I will try my best to be as responsive as I can for you. But there will be certain timings that I may not be able to respond immediately. Mm. Um, and I really hope to seek your understanding. La. But mm. um, I want you to know that, you know, I'm still here for you. Mm. I still care for you. 
And as much as possible, I will try to be responsive to you. Mm. Do you feel it also comes with a certain degree of like trust in who who the person is and like how your friend is like? So for example, if I'm caring for a person that I've known actually for a long time and I know how he or she is like as a person that they maybe will not just like anyhow ask for my time and anyhow ask for my attention but when they reach out actually they really really need help mm. right maybe actually then in moments where they text me even in my untouchable <laughs> time frame mm. like that is an indicator to me that eh, there, mm. there's probably something yep. there because mm. this person is not someone who's irresponsible with my time and my energy and so mm. as a friend in that season even though it does come at a cost to me and an inconvenience to some of the mm. other things I need to do in life, I might give more weight la, to that mm. if I know yep. how you are like on a normal day also. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Do you mm. find in working with caregivers that some of them struggle to figure out what are healthy boundaries to hold to? Oh, very much so. Oh, I think boundary, <laughs> boundary is, a, is, a, is a challenge for a lot of people. For a lot of people. So, do you have a guess on why? Because like usually family members, especially they, even friends actually, you you feel a certain level and extent of 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 responsibility to to take care of this person. Because even for friends, it's, it's also considered your yeah. loved one, right? Because yeah. you love this friend, that's why you want to care for them. And when we when we know that our friend is like having struggles, we all mm. want to you know just come forth. We want to be very very supportive. Want to make sure that this person is kept for, is loved for. Um, and then when that happens, sometimes. Uh, we, we may not think too much about where the boundary is. Mm. Yeah, so we may want to be very, very responsive. We may want to be around as much as possible uh, to show that we care. I think sometimes there's also the, the notion that if I establish a boundary, I put a limit on my love. Mm. But not necessarily so because like, um, if, if you are responding like 24-7, that, that can just mean you are responsive. But... Is it really? Is Love, it? Uh. Yeah, correct. Mm. Like yeah, just being responsive. Like you feel that okay, I I I I I have this responsibility. Responsibility. I need to just be very, very responsive. Mm. But that 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 doesn't mean like if I am not as responsive twenty four seven, I don't love this person. Mm. You know, because we we all need certain space. Like where I'm working, I I can't always be picking up your calls. Mm. You know, because I I need to work too. So we, we all need a certain level, extent of our own space. Um, and that is where the boundary lies. But that doesn't mean that if I have all these boundaries, it means that I care for you less or I love you less just because I'm not like someone who immediately responds. Do you have any like tips on how to establish good boundaries or what good boundaries are even? Um, I think for boundaries, right? One of the uh, first and foremost, one of the most basic things is um your basic needs. Huh? your basic needs cannot be uh encroached upon by by your care journey because that is like very very basic. I mean, you can't be skipping your meals just to attend to another person. I, I think mm. that is overstepping the boundaries already. So a, a a good way to set would be making sure that at least your your own basic needs is is being taken care of. So that is that is the what I, what I would call the healthy benchmark. Mm. It then sounds like for family, it's quite difficult yeah. to draw that um, mm. boundary because I think even if, mm. even though we love our friends, but then with family, there is a, another tier of responsibility that you mm. will feel more guilty if you draw certain boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, like it would be seen as 
maybe even culturally like um mm. you don't care about you don't love or you're not committed to your family mm. yeah that that sounds like very challenging to navigate for mm. family members especially mm. Mm. So usually like for a lot of family members, right? I always I always kind of enforce, I'll tell them that, you know, we will review this regularly, but every every week, you know, take one hour out of your entire week to just do something with yourself, do something that you enjoy. So I will have these like check-ins with them. So what have you done? Like, you know, did you take the one hour? Of course, not always that they will say that, oh, I managed to do it. But mm. I think with that regular reminders to just keep making them try to have some time for themselves, mm. if they really find it so difficult, then I say, okay, very, very simple. 15 minutes. Just 15 minutes, you know, do something that you enjoy in the house. If you can't get out of the house, mm. do something for yourself in the house, colouring, drawing, surfing the net, watching watching, watching a short video. Take nap also considered. Yeah, can anything. Basically, you know, just having a, a, a rest period where you don't have mm. to think about the caregiving. Yeah, mm. if it's really so difficult to take one hour, then I say, how about we try just 15 minutes in the entire week. You, you you know, just take 15 minutes for yourself. So from there, then we try to try to build build up. La. Yeah, from 15 minutes to half an hour. Cu- that kind of thing. Curious, have you encountered a case where the person took a break in that 15 minutes, right? And something happened during the 15 minutes? Uh, so far, don't have. <laughs> So far, don't have because usually, if let's say um a pers- the 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 person who is being kept for is someone who struggles with like um suicide, mm. being suicidal, have a lot of suicidal thoughts, ideations, um, but being in the same house, making sure that there are the the safety precautions in the house are made. So usually, we will talk about safety planning. Yeah, so safety okay. planning, we will always talk about things like you know making sure that uh the window grills are locked. The person doesn't have access to the keys. The person can't go off the door. You know, things things like that. So we try to do all the safety planning that is within the house. So when you take that 15 minutes away, you're still in the house with the person. So technically, while you're doing something for yourself, there's still some level of monitoring because the person is still in the house. Mm. Yeah, still possible. Do you think that this works because there are some professionals guiding this process? Then, for example, mm. for people who maybe like don't have professionals involved, right? How can they go about taking this like 15 minute, one hour for themselves while still having some of these safety precautions in place? I think usually uh, we'll still have to go to professionals to look at ways to manage the risk because Mm. every single case, the the risk Mm. involved can be very, very different. Mm. You know, I mean, mean, if we we talk about um, suicide, right? Threefold, may choose the the suicidal method that they choose can be very very different so in every case the safety planning will be very different also Mm. then for caregivers when our loved ones are struggling with that right there's a lot a lot of anxiety that we that we cannot like we feel like we cannot take even five minutes of our eyes off this person Yeah. yeah so how can we then enhance that safety precaution so that this anxiety can be lowered so that you can even take a few minutes out of your all your, all your caregiving time to take care of yourself. Mm. Yeah, all this, I think, um, I still think it needs to be uh, uh, having this conversation with a professional to talk about how to enhance safety. Yeah. Yeah, which I, mm. I like what you said, la, that I think seeking professional help is not like an easy cop out you know of having to Mm. journey through this but sometimes if the situation really is that severe where as the caregiver you clearly know that there are limitations to your care and 
you yourself, you are because of caregiving, maybe you are also in a state of constant anxiety and low moods, right? I think that could be an indicator la, mm. that we really do need to bring somebody else in and not yeah. just manage it ourselves. So feel maybe just removing that stigma of seeking mm. professional help, but seeing it as an additional layer of support yeah. to help both yourself as the caregiver as well as the one you're caring for yeah. to succeed. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Like I, I wanted to affirm that because um, I think even with this friend, we, I mean, at the start she was quite resistant to mm. professional help because I think there was that stigma of if I go to a for professional help, it's a additional sense of it a, confirms yeah it confirms yeah. that I really struggle with yeah. this and um there is something that I have to maybe probably live for live with uh, for a very long time kind of the degree of acknowledging it mm. um and so i mean at the start we kind of like tried to just work out um, between both of us and like with whatever resources we could find but even then i think there is um there is only so much that it can bring you to that there were still certain areas that um in this person's past that I mm. am not able to help the person out of. Yeah, so we could manage her situation, we could manage her her struggles, but we will not be able to go deeper um after a certain point. Mm. Yeah, so at some point, um then seeking uh, professional help, regardless of whether it's like counseling or like um seeing a uh, uh, psychologist um, or whatnot that I think it would be very very helpful yeah. yeah even if it's just for a season to to see whether they can resolve some things yeah mm. Mm. I think especially when there's trauma involved like mm. because trauma yeah. is something that is so deep right yeah. and it's very hard to think your way out of trauma I feel like or, yes. or at least just like Try and like, okay, I just like fix my mind on something and it won't... Because your yeah. body remembers trauma. Mm. But And I have friends who maybe knew that they went through something um, traumatic or maybe they didn't even label it traumatic. They just saw it as like, I went through something quite big in my childhood. But now as like a young adult, I have moved past it because like there are so many other things in my life and so many other memories until one day mm. something happens and they have this like big reaction that they don't understand like why is my reaction so big and where did this come from right and only after really going to therapy the therapist really helped them to string together all their childhood experiences and mm. then they realized that oh this thing that i always categorize as just a bad childhood experience mm. actually was trauma mm. that my body registered and comes out in a certain way when i'm put mm. in a situation that makes me feel similar feelings so i think these are things that it's very hard for you to come to on your own, especially if your body tries to block out your trauma, yeah. right? Yeah. But also it's very hard for your friends around you to try to help you to piece it together and figure out because they don't know how to get it out of you yeah. if they're not professionally trained. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I find that there really, really is some benefit in going to a licensed professional to figure out some of these things if you know quite clearly that they're mm -hmm. affecting you in your daily life, mm -hmm. right? And I'm actually quite thankful that we have come to a place in society where it's a lot more talked about. Yeah. I think mm. maybe like five, six years ago, I mean, when you were walking through with your friend, I don't think it was so commonly talked about. There was still a sense of like, okay, mental health is like a private struggle and, mm. and you know, talking about therapy is not so common. I don't think we are like fully embracing of it now. Mm. I think there's still definitely some degree of stigma depending yeah. on like who you're around, um, the kind yeah. of industry you're in and things mm. like that. But I feel we have opened up. Yeah. to the idea and that's a good sign because I'm sure that there are so many people who are struggling with mental health who are silent about it mm. yeah mm. and it's good lah 
that in society we're more open to receiving help for this now. So actually, what motivates you guys to continue giving care to either your friend or the many, many, many clients that you've had over the years, right? Even though caregiving has its own difficulties. I think there is a lot of meaning and purpose that I find in my line of work. And it's something that's very, very simple, uh, which is just towards thank you. Sometimes I, when I hear this from my patients or the family members, when they just say this word in just sim- most, most simplest manner, mm. I just felt that, you know, um, everything that I do is, is being appreciated. Yeah. Um, actually, in fact, I recall this one particular um, family member. Uh, it was already like 6 p.m. already. Actually, we knock off at 5.30. Yeah. And then... Um, I, I don't think I did a lot for 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 his loved one. You know, it's just like, you know, my day-to-day work, my, my responsibility. But then he was telling me that, you know, you just give me, just give me 10, min- 10 minutes. Then, then, then I was like, oh, what do you want to do at the 10 minutes? He said, Let me go and get something for you. And it was like really, really pouring very heavily outside. So so I was like, actually, initially I was like thinking, hey, I try I want to go home already. <laughs> But then he was like, you just give me 10 minutes. I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So he, he he ran. Then he ran back. And then he was like really, really trying to catch his breath when he came back. And he bought like this whole uh, box of like one whole roast duck. Wow. Yeah, for me. <laughs> then he said, I, I just want to say thank you to you. Please have this. Then I was like, oh, was wow. So <laughs> yeah, and he was all drenched. He was all wow. drenched. That was the most memorable for me. The, the you know, I don't really need like everybody to do that. I but then, you know, just like a simple thank you, that gesture really just keeps me going. Mm. Yeah. I and guess you can also really see quite tangibly the positive effect, right? It brings to the family mm-hmm. and the patient. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very much so. Guan, what about you? Uh for myself, I think it would really be the value of life. Um yeah, I think personally, I mean, because of my own faith also that as a Christian, I have seen the extent in which um, God loves me and values life that, I mean, while my struggle is not in mental health, there are other areas of struggles that we all go through in different forms and um, different intensity, but yet seeing the extent of the, the value of life and how much God would love us, I think it motivates me um to want to also love this friend and care for this friend and to mm. see the value of her life that it is not meant to just stay at um where it is but there is a sense of uh i think hope and possibility of restoration uh in whatever that looks like um yeah that i think to to want to value that enough to do this uh, honestly i think there are many moments where i do feel that um, is my love enough or like mm. or rather I know that my love is not enough or to feel that I don't have enough strength or um, skills or in every sense to be able to care for this person or help this person um, but yeah I think it is also then uh, uh, knowing that uh, it is not my own source of love that uh, I rely on because I think that would easily drain out also um but i think really just being able to to see the person as um or to see people as how god would the value of life and to love them and to serve Mm -hmm. them so 
uh, putting myself in a situation to want to uh, love and serve people is not easy, but I think that is what motivates me to continue. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I resonate with that a lot. I think my own answer would really just simply be love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe because in my context, I mostly journey through with people who are in my life. I don't really journey through with people professionally, um, like Jolie, right? So mm-hmm. to me, it, it's simple. La. I love you and I desire your well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like for you to be okay, lo, simply because I love and care for you. Mm-hmm. I think maybe what I need to learn is how to establish good boundaries la, and and also navigating that whole idea of like, okay, there's only so much that I will be able to do. So how can they seek help from multiple channels, right? But Mm. fundamentally, the thing that keeps me going really is just that sincere care for them. Yeah, which I do think that a lot of friends are like that. A lot Mm. of people who care for their loved ones do it because they sincerely love. And yeah, Lord, if you are struggling and actually there is a person who is willing to sit with you and hear you out like that I think in and of itself is already a sign that there's somebody in your court and somebody loves you so if ever on a bad day you feel like nobody loves you but you know that there's at least that one person you can text mm-hmm. that is already a sign that there's somebody who loves you enough to want to do that for you actually Bon I, I think your story is quite interesting in the sense that you've really seen your friend go through different phases where it was very very bad right and then slowly there was progress and I think you mentioned earlier that now in a place where it is actually more manageable and easier to um, support her through, right? Can you share with us more of like, I guess where it is now? And I think this would actually encourage and give hope to some of our listeners, right? Who are actually in phase one, where they really feel like, oh my gosh, I can't see how this is ever going to get better. And we know Mm -hmm. that not every case is the same, right? Not every case goes down the same track and trajectory. But in your experience, at least, you know, what, what is it like now? Uh, honestly, with this friend, I think in the initial phase, maybe probably both her <laughs> and myself, we have some sense of maybe it's going to be like that forever. Yeah. And But I, I'm very thankful because I, while it is something that she still needs to guard all her life and something that I think is part of her life, um, uh, regardless of what life station she goes into, I think there is definitely a lot of progress mm. um, over the past five years. And some of the key things that I think we have seen it gradually, um, a lot of hard work and a lot of conversation, a lot of learning and growing over the five years that lead to some of these key changes. Um, I think the first one would be even accepting that this will be in her life. Yeah, so accept accepting it and then learning to grow and manage it. Yeah, so that I think now even though the the triggers are lesser, the there's more stability. Um, but then when it happens, uh, there is an understanding that okay, this is part of this is just her part of her depression or anxiety that is um that is happening. It's yeah, not it's like up yeah, that's acting up. Yeah, it's not like something very major is like wrong, that kind of idea. So that helps her to manage um, that it's okay. This is something that's passing. Mm. Yeah, so I think that acceptance and that recognition is one very, very, very big part. Then the second one would be, um, so I think for her particularly, uh, um, her sh- apart from this whole like the, the thoughts and emotions spiraling, it did stem out of certain key struggles that she had. 
um, that is tagged to like a sense of purpose, um, uh, usefulness and like security in love. Yeah, that I think over the years as she could um, differentiate, mean segregate like this whole spiraling of thoughts and emotions and some of the fundamental needs that she was struggling with, that she was able to look into them and find uh, an anchor where her purpose or her uh, having confidence in what she can do and cannot do. And also, um, I think finding more and more security in uh, love. Yeah, so this has helped her to, I think, over time, um, yeah, became better. Then um, I think maybe the last one would be um, where we seek professional help. Mm. Yeah, so um, which was really very helpful, actually, because uh, there was one session where I sat in together with her because the, the counsellor was asking um, yeah, her to bring her friend so that like we could implement some changes into her life together. Then I could keep her accountable. Mm. So, um, yeah, and I think from there, we did see some greater breakthrough of the way she relates with her family. Because this was where tech to some of the struggles and issues that came from the past with family. And um, when that was like uh, being worked on, uh, you might not see immediate results in terms of your lifestyle and how you feel day in, day out. But when you go deeper into some of these roots and then you could um, look at them, then there is a generally a greater freedom for her in how she views um, life moving forward. Mm. Yeah, so some of these key things um, that I saw. So now, uh, I mean, I don't meet her every week anymore. <laughs> And we, I mean, we, we don't text every few days so, so often anymore. Uh, she has become a lot more independent. Mm. But of course, there's still support. Like when we meet up here and there, we still have conversations about this. Um, mm. And when she really, really is uh, in a not so, not a good place, she would just drop me a text. Mm. Yeah. So the, I guess the care has shifted together with how she has progressed. Yeah. Mm. What, what about like yourself as a caregiver? Like how would you describe the, the journey that you've been through? Um, I have definitely become much more knowledgeable <laughs> in this area. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think this whole area is such a big topic and so much that goes into it. Um, I think in my journey, I... Uh, I think I've grown to, I think understanding in this area has helped me to really better, um, uh, not just understand the people who, who struggles with mental health in a more, um, intense manner, but I think it generally helped me to understand myself or like people more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, over time that learning to identify, um, growing up, what are some of the, um, thoughts and emotional patterns that we fall into uh, and how does it implicate us now and so as I made sense of this area I think the initial sense of um, being overwhelmed that heaviness that uh, helplessness with people who struggle with this has also shifted and changed to realizing that actually there are ways to kind of break down these struggles and work on them at with uh, in smaller chunks. Yeah, and it is possible to manage it. It's possible to um, have restoration in some of the, um, I guess, felt needs um, in a person's life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so I think that 
if anything, um, learning and seeing that it is possible to see progress, it is possible to have some form of restoration, even if you need to guard this all your life, um, mm. uh, is something that uh, I think in my own journey and understanding or looking at her life, um, it has helped me to see, uh, mm. yeah, which applies to not just for them, but I think even for the average person, we do have some of these struggles, even if it doesn't look like that. Yeah. yeah. I like what you said, that there, even if you have to guard it for the rest of your life, there can be progress. Because I think, um, to some people, maybe when you hear the idea that you need to guard it all your life, it just stirs up a sense of dread because you hope to be done with yeah. it. But I, I do think that, like what you said just now, it's very much tech to acceptance and acknowledging that maybe there's just this part of me that, has these tendencies and it's okay because it doesn't define me, mm -hmm. right? There may be seasons where I need to pay more attention to it. There may be seasons where actually it's not so serious. And it's the same as like, okay lah, if as a person I have high blood pressure, there really are some things that I just got to watch out in my life. But mm -hmm. I am not defined by my high blood pressure, you know? It's not mm -hmm. like I go everywhere, then my name tag is Natasha, high blood pressure. Then I write my <laughs> pressure count. It's not that ma. It's just that in my lifestyle, I think there are some things that I need to be more watchful over mm -hmm. so that I don't trigger um, this health condition that I have. And mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. it comes back down to health. Yeah. You may have certain tendencies or certain... Um, I guess certain inclinations towards a certain end already. But what matters more is that we find out ways to keep ourselves healthy um, mm. and guard it lo, so that we mm. do not fall into difficult and, and very, very bad seasons that often. Mm. Yeah. So. Maybe another thing um, would be, uh, I think learning, I think I'm definitely a much better, more equipped place to care for people who struggle with mental health mm. um, which after her there were quite a few others in mm. different areas of mental health and um, at a much more equipped place but I think also at the same time uh, learning to draw some healthy boundaries for myself yeah so I think I think we can only journey with that many people in the long term yes yes like as uh, individual I can yeah. only have that many long term mm. uh, friends that I commit to uh, in this area yeah. so actually with many of the other uh, like people that I come across but I think there's also that heart of wanting to love them and care for them because I mean I have some experience in this area and it could be helpful for you but it's also not possible for me to jump into it and say I will commit to you long term and mm. uh walk you through in the same way that I walk with this friend so it looks a lot more like sometimes just for a season maybe mm -hmm. a few meetups and then sharing with the person some experiences or practical mm -hmm. handles um, or support and then uh, it's like giving the person the the um, yeah like you know how you can build up for yourself or how you can um, find a support circle and some of the practical things and giving letting the person take it from there mm. yeah so just like I think it can look like different kinds of help or different kinds of care for different people mm. and if ever down the road there are more questions they want to ask me they can always like contact me mm. but don't have the I'm here with you in the same uh, yeah, don't over promise la. yeah intensity yeah. as yeah yeah yeah, I think one of the things that I am getting from our conversation, right, is that actually this whole process of caregiving is also very 
in some sense, enriching for the caregiver. I think you mm. do learn a lot of things about mm. yourself, um, whether it is things like being able to communicate expectations, establish mm. boundaries, or even like, you know, from the way you instinctively respond to your friend. I think if you would take, take some time to sit down and think about it more, that actually gives you insight to how you are. And it is a process where mm. you also get to grow Mm. as an individual um maybe before we end off i would want to ask jolie right in your experience of walking through with different caregivers um what do you think this growth looks like you know how do they usually grow through the process and learn more about themselves um i would say like if let's say like one just now mentioned like she's like caring uh, for a lot of people with different mental health issues Mm. yeah in the process of let's say we we Usually caregivers will try to read up. They will try to understand more about the different conditions. And when we do that, then we also are learning that, eh, or oh, when this person have a particular mental illness, how can we how how would the caregiving look like for us? When it's another person with another type of mental health issue, how does the caregiving look like? How do I deliver the care? So in the process of, you know, um learning the learning, the, the psychoeducating of the self, or mm. even to join um, support groups, learning from other caregivers, exchanging of experiences, all this can help to enrich the person. Mm. And of course, if let's say the caregiver is really very, very good in terms of like, oh, you know, I think about it. Uh, that is what we usually call, right? Like it's um, reflections. Mm. So this kind of reflexive thinking about our care can also help us to also learn about um, self-awareness awareness about ourselves, how 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 are we delivering wearing care, how is like situations around us affecting us. You know, all these reflections can help us to definitely grow in many, many ways. Mm. Yeah, I feel actually there's a lot of potential for this caregiving journey to be one where you also are more aware of your own mental health, um, or mental yeah. fitness. Yeah, where mm. as you read up and you learn more about the different um, conditions out there, right? It helps you to, in a sense, be more guarded also la, yeah. about your own tendency. So, for example, I might more quickly recognise that eh, actually my thought patterns are more negative than mm. usual in this season and then be able to better guard that. So, I feel even though caregiving at times can really be quite challenging mm. and um, tiring at some point even, but actually if we are able to establish good boundaries, right? It can also be a process that brings a lot of fulfillment and enrichment yeah. where you learn, you grow as an individual and mm-hmm. in the same time, you really get to dispense care and love to a person mm-hmm. that you sincerely care about. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm really, really glad that we had this conversation and I'm so glad, one that your friend is doing better mm-hmm. and you learn so much along the way also. And I feel having Jolie as a professional on this panel really gave <laughs> us a lot more insight. La. So personally, I have quite a bit to chew on and think about in the way that I give care or even expect care in a season when I'm not doing as well. Um, mm. And yeah, I hope that for our listeners, this was an enriching episode as well where you got to take away a lot of little nuggets. So thank you once again for joining us for today's episode. We hope that this was great for you and we hope that if you're in a journey of giving care to somebody, you also resonated with some of the things that were talked about. If you have any questions at all, please feel free to put it into our comment section. Uh, we'll find a way to ask Jolie because she's the professional here and maybe you. Or you can also slide us a message in our Instagram or in our tele channel if you want to just open up a bigger discussion about this whole idea of care 
giving. So thank you for joining us. If you like this episode, you can like this video. You can share it with somebody who might enjoy it as well. Subscribe to our channel and you can find us on various channels like Instagram and TikTok at angel.people. You can find our content on YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can join our Tele channel for conversations in between episodes. And with that, we'll see you in our next one. Bye!